Guys, if you want to grab a Bible, uh, either in physical form or on a device, you need to turn to uh, the book of Luke. We're looking at chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I shall do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you'll have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as Ben said, uh, and as if you've been with us for the past few weeks, we are currently in a series looking at the spiritual disciplines. Uh, and so far we've looked at the spirit, spiritual disciplines of, um, of money, of giving a few weeks ago, of prayer. And, um, and today we're going back to that spiritual discipline of giving because it is so important for us as disciples of Jesus uh, to grasp. And before you switch off and think, oh, no, not again, then let's just remember that actually it's something that Jesus spoke on quite a lot. And uh, it was one of his, his favorite topic in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, he talks about it more than anything else. And uh, two weeks ago, if you were with us, Ben spoke um, on giving and the story of the widow and the coins. And if I was to summarize his talk in, uh, in a sentence or two, it would be this. Jesus wants you to give but he does not measure how much you give, but how much you hold back for yourself. Jesus gave everything for us. How could we not give back everything to him in return? Now today, in this passage, we're introduced uh, to another person, the rich fool, and some, someone who Jesus introduces us uh, to teach about why we should be generous uh, with what God has given us and not store up all of the wealth for ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I was just uh, telling the team beforehand, this Christmas was a, a bumper Christmas for us in the Kirkby household. We had a massive Christmas hamper, and we set it up in the dining room, and it was the go-to place right throughout the Christmas season. And to be honest, it still kind of is. It's still there. And it was full of chocolate. You had your best Ferrero Rochers, the Lint chocolates, uh, the peanut butter M&Ms, they're really good. If you've not tried them, get some of them. They were after eight mints. You, you can just imagine it. It was overflowing with chocolate. And it got to a few days after Christmas, and Rich, 
my wife begins to look at this hamper and in her generous spirit, uh, she begins uh, to bless other people around us with all of my chocolates. This didn't go down well. So, you know, she was doing the wonderful, generous thing of, of blessing other people. And I was like, that's mine. That is really mine. That's my favorite chocolate. What are you doing? Put it back. And it was relentless. And now the chocolate supply is depleted quite considerably. And it's something I need to forgive her for and get over. But she was doing the right thing and blessing other people, giving away because we had surplus and abundance of it. Now, be honest with yourself. How does it feel today if you were you've been with us listening to the last talk on giving. How does it make you feel? Uh, does it make you feel guilty? Does it make you feel joyful? Does it make you want to switch off? Can I encourage you not to do that? We're talking about money today, not to get your money, okay? But because giving is an invitation from Jesus, an invitation to enter into the spiritual disciplines so that you and I can be more like Jesus in the everyday. And for Jesus, talking about money and giving is, is a means of grace. It's not a stick to beat you with. It's all about the gospel, the good news for you and for me. And so what I want us to do now is to work our way through the passage to keep uh, Luke chapter 12 open in front of you. And let's work through it together. So we begin with verse 13. Someone in the crowd makes a demand of Jesus saying, Teacher, tell my brother to divide up the inheritance with me. Now in Jesus' day, the firstborn got pretty much everything. Perhaps a little bit different to today in our society. They had the final say on distributing inheritance. Now this demand is coming from a younger sibling here in the story who wants to gain what isn't rightfully his or legally. And they want Jesus to make this decision. Now, why is this person going to Jesus? Well, it was quite normal for rabbis in this time uh, to be involved in sorting out property disputes. So this younger sibling, he is likely to be a Pharisee or a scribe uh, himself, and he'd likely had enough money, to be quite honest, but he recognizes that Jesus, yes, does have the authority to make this happen. Jesus, of course, is judge, is Lord of all. However, the demand here is in the wrong place. The demand comes from someone who wants to use Jesus to get what he or she wants financially. I.e., this person is selfish. Now, this is the prosperity gospel. An American pastor called Andy Stanley said this, Until Jesus is first in your finances, Jesus isn't first. You're not a follower, you're a user. And Judas tried that. Now, the shocking reality is that quite often we are like this person in the story. We want to use Jesus to get what we want rather than serve him for who he is. He is. So let's move on. Verse 14. Jesus replies, Friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things? Now, why is this significant? The person is talking to Jesus to make him the divider, the arbiter between the two brothers. 
The brother is right. Jesus is divider, but not in the property sense, but in a life or death sense. Money isn't the greatest divide here in this situation. It is whether or not we are on the right side of a relationship with Jesus. That's what we've got to grasp, you and I, today. Verse 15, Jesus says very clearly and alarmingly, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. In other words, money doesn't make us happy. There are other ways, of course, to measure wealth. Getting more stuff, acquiring more money will not make us happy. And we all know this to be true if we're being honest with ourselves, don't we? Because not necessarily are wealthier people more happier than us. Or vice versa. Celebrities who are rich and famous are not necessarily happier than the average person. Jim Carrey, in fact, said this. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Now there it is. Jesus says, watch out. Because he knows, even when we don't know ourselves, that we are greedy. The man who asked Jesus to make the divide, he didn't think he was greedy. He just wanted what he thought was rightfully his and for Jesus to sort it out. But here lies the problem. You see, greed is a sin that hides itself very well. And the fullness of life simply cannot be found in possessions. Let's keep moving on. Verse 16. And Jesus then goes on to illustrate this point with a parable. A rich man has a, a huge field and it produces a huge harvest. Now we know this man is very rich because only wealthy people could have a huge field like this. And so this guy is absolutely loaded. He likely inherited, inherited the land as a gift as well. And then verse 17 tells us that he thinks to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to keep all of this stuff. Have you noticed his attitude to abundance is what can I keep as opposed to what can I give? And so verse 18, we see that actually he, he already has loads of barns. And they're already full to bursting. And so what he was doing was he was saving as though the world is all that there is. Now, of course, you and I, everyone, we live in this physical world. So to save nothing would be foolish of us. But to save everything would be foolish too. And this is what this man is doing. And yet he wants more. But notice the lie in this parable. He says, I have nowhere to keep all of this. What's happened in this situation is money has distorted his grip on reality to the extent that he now thinks he has nothing, despite being the equivalent of a millionaire. Now, this is what Jesus means when he says that life does not consist in abundance of possessions. 
This guy has everything. His barns are full. And yet, he thinks he has nothing. His, his love for wealth has blinded him to the truth. And so verses 18, 19, what does he do? In his greediness, he rips down all of his barns to build bigger ones, which is, let's face it, a complete waste and the epitome of greed. But he does it so that he can, we learn in the passage, he can take life easy, he can eat, he can drink, and be merry. Now this is greed on a chronic level. This is severe. And what's he doing? Well, we know from Scripture in Isaiah, Revelation, that the picture of heaven is a banquet. It is a party, a place where we will eat and drink and be merry. And what's this man doing? He's trying to build heaven on earth himself. When it can only come from Jesus, who gave up everything so that we could be free of all the stuff that entangles us. You see, this man thinks he can buy his salvation when Jesus actually offers us it for free because he paid for it. This man is trying to be Lord of his own life. Now, before we look down our nose at this man, we all do it, every single one of us. Now, what I'm not saying is we shouldn't be concerned about our future. Of course we should, because let's face it, that's where we're going to spend eternity. So we should be concerned about our futures. But it was his lack of concern for others. If we want more of anything, surely this should be more of what God offers us and not the world. So what happens? Let's take a look at verse 20. Wow, God takes his life. And so the man can't take anything with him. It's lost. It's gone. You see, the rich fool, he tried to take everything and got nothing. This isn't the way. Jesus, he gave up everything so that we you and I could have everything. Jesus gave up the wealth of heaven so that we could inherit everything that is his. Verse 21, what happens? Jesus says, and this is what we need to take. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus doesn't see wealth on its own as evil. This man was not a fool for having wealth. The problem was he thought his wealth consisted of material things and that things rather than God could give him fullness of life. No. Be rich towards God, not yourself. 
Let's not be like the rich fool who had an imbalanced relationship between money versus the kingdom of God. Our relationship between the two should be fundamentally and intimately related. St. Augustine said this. He he exposes all of this uh, from the passage by saying, he, the foolish man, did not realise that the bellies of the poor are much safer storerooms than his barns. Wow. So here is the challenge for all of us. And there's, there's three key challenges I want to draw out for us today. The first one is this. How are we like the person that makes the demand that prompts Jesus to tell the parable? So ask yourself, do you use Jesus to get what you want rather than serving him for who he is? This is what the man who makes the demand is trying to do. Do we have a relationship with God whereby we say, God, I will do this if you give me this. Friends, God is not a bargaining tool. The thing for us to remember is that for those of us who are Christians, followers of Jesus, we have already been given the inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ. Everything that is his is ours. We have everything. But do we behave as though we need more all the time? Or do we behave as though we have everything already in Christ? That's the first challenge. Secondly, how are we like the rich fool? Now here's some questions for us uh, to ask. What barns are we building for ourselves? What are we holding back in our lives from God? In what way are we trying to earn heaven when actually it is a free gift through grace? And what are we not giving to God? You know, in this story, the rich man gave no thought to others at all. The poor or anyone, only himself. He had no intention of serving or helping other people. All that mattered to him was his own security and future happiness. The man was so concerned with earthly success that he forgot who was actually responsible for his earthly provision. God. Now in what ways has our perception of reality been warped like the, the rich fool? Remember, he started to believe he didn't have anything at all, when in fact he had a barn, barns full of stuff. Are we like that? And perhaps we, we believe, we tell ourselves, if I start giving, I'll be without. I won't have enough for me if I start giving. Well, that is a lie. And may I suggest that at times, perhaps we get money sick. Money sick. In fact, Tim Keller says that there are seven symptoms of money sickness that are drawn out in this passage. 
And we're going to post them in the chat on YouTube, but I'll, I'll quickly work through them. And here are seven signs of us being money sick. Firstly, do we find ourselves boasting about money? The rich, the rich man gloats about his wealth. And what does wealth do? It gives him the confidence that he yearns for and a sense of this self-worth. But even when it's achieved, it's still inherently competitive. Secondly, worry. Do we find ourselves worrying about money? In fact, the verse after this passage we're looking at today, verse 22, is that, that, that verse most of us will be familiar with, where Jesus says, you know, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about the food, uh, the things you're going to drink, or, or anything, or the clothes that you need. Don't worry about it. Do we find ourselves worrying? Thirdly, money comfort. Do we find ourselves needing money in our lives to feel safe and secure? Fourthly, do we find ourselves suffering from stinginess? This rich man didn't think about how his wealth could help others. He kept it to himself. Generosity was not the joy of this man's heart. Is it the joy of ours? Fifth, overspending. I'm guilty of this. Do we find ourselves needing to build bigger barns? Because money actually, in the end, becomes the medication. Six, we just can't turn it off. We want to spend more and more and more. We can't get enough. We're never satisfied. And seventh, stockpiling. Do we find ourselves saving excessive amounts? Clark Pinnock, a Canadian theologian, said this, Perhaps the reason that today we are afraid to risk our property and dig into our savings to choose less lucrative careers is that we are not really yielded to God, not really living in the full, unhindered presence of the Spirit. The love of God does not overflow in our hearts, and we fear that God is unable to take care of us. Wow. Wow. You know, when we live in the kingdom of God, God cultivates this heart of generosity within us. So how then can we ever be without if the one who gave it all demands that too of you and of me? We can't ever be without. Here's a story. There's a man who opens a newspaper and discovers that the date on the newspaper is six months in advance of the time he lives. He begins to read through the newspaper and he discovers stories about events that have not yet taken place. He turns to the sports page and there are scores of games not yet played. He turns to the financial page and discovers a report of the rise or fall of different stocks and bonds. He realizes that this can make him a wealthy man. A few large bets on an underdog team that he knows will win, will make him wealthy. Investments in stocks that are now low but will get high can flatten his portfolio. Oh, sorry, fatten. He is delighted. He turns the page and comes to the obituary column and sees his picture and story. Everything changes. The knowledge of his death changes his view about his wealth. 
You know, as disciples of Jesus, we are to challenge the lifeless promises of self-absorption and greed of this world. Life in the kingdom of God is marked by gratitude, by generosity, and with an eye on eternity and the things that really matter. So, the third challenge, and the last challenge. How are we like Jesus? How are we like the good news? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, our sake, he became poor, so that you, us, through his poverty, might become rich. It's because of Jesus' depravity that we become rich. So why do we think then, I won't be worried when? I won't be worried when this is paid. I won't be worried if and when I have enough of this. No, we don't have to worry because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. So what does this look like for us day to day? Well, the way for us to demonstrate Jesus' love to the world is to give. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. When we give, what we're doing is we're stating that Jesus is Lord of our finances and that we are not. This doesn't mean that it, it, it's not wrong to, to savor a house or, or, or whatever, but it does mean that if we're not being generous with our finances and giving our money away, then we're not living in the fullness of knowing what it truly looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. We stifle the opportunity of God to display his, his wonderful and miraculous works here on earth. We get to play in that together, the church. So can I encourage you seriously today that if you don't give already, then start to give. And if you do give, as I do, can we give more? It was great hearing from Becca earlier, wasn't it? And if you, you're a student, you're listening, and you're not yet giving, then begin giving now. Because it'll be much easier to start the spiritual discipline of giving now when you don't have much money in your pockets rather than to start tithing or giving when you're earning tens of thousands of pounds in the future. You know, all of us are going to be emerging from this third lockdown very shortly. And on the April the 12th, what's going to happen? We're all going to be faced with this temptation to engage in that retail therapy as non-essential shops start to reopen. Now, what if on the 12th of April, instead of us spending money lavishly in the same way that we did before, which was just an outrageous outpouring 
or spending of our money, that actually we turned it on its head. And we started to give in different ways. What if we were generous in our giving, in supporting local businesses? Let's remember that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. He gave up his glory on the cross so that we, you and I, could be clothed in the wealth of his glory. So how can we not give everything back in return to him? Wealth on earth cannot compare to the treasures of heaven. We can choose to give today. And that is a decision that only you and I can make. Let's not be like the rich fool. Jesus gave everything. We can choose to give our all. Amen.